Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, everybody, I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show and Instagram show and TikTok show and eventually YouTube show where I use my over three decades of experience as a master craftsperson to answer any of your questions. We can talk about paint business, entrepreneurship, trades entrepreneurship, uh, the, the painting and all that other good stuff. <laughs> um, lots of fun things happening right now, everybody. Today is going to be the final um, show where we go through the steps of mastering the basics, MTB. I start this series off at the start of every year and um, we go through all my steps. I think there's six or seven steps uh, that I followed and other people follow to professionalize their business, solve all the problems, things like that. And all uh, oh, surf preps watching this morning. Good morning, surf prep. Um, there's a bunch of steps that I followed to professionalize my business. Why do we professionalize our business? Because it solves all the problems that we wonder about. How do you schedule? How do you find people? What do you charge for X? If you follow all the steps to professionalization, you will find solutions to every single one of those things. So today we are going through the final step in my thing called building your team. And we're talking about the technician level. We're talking about the painters, the apprentices, the craftspeople, but we're also talking about a leadership team. And of course, as you guys have come to uh, have come to expect, I will give you a whole packet of resources, mainly some job descriptions for leadership team uh, that will help you guys out as you as you think about the future here. I also have a bunch of really deep thoughts about um, when to have a leadership team, uh, how to hold them accountable, how to make sure they're world class, things like that. So um, before we get into that uh, and then. I should say this is the final mastering the basics where we're actually going to hit on a step. The next, uh, the next show, I think I'm just going to do a recap because I have updated my steps to professionalism sheet. It's a one pager with all the links to the Ask a Painter live shows, all my resources, everything else. Now that we've gone through, we've gone through this series two or three years now, and I've included links to multiple shows, multiple resources. You can see the evolution of all this stuff. And I think we'll do a final recap the next time uh, that we do that. Now, the fun thing is, the fun thing is uh, tonight, I am getting on a plane and I am going to Abu Dhabi. All right. What a weird world that we live in here. Uh, I am a house painter from Minnesota. I'm sitting here on my farm. I am barefoot. My kids are playing on the other side of this wall. One of my kids is on a baseball tryout. Um, we live a pretty cool little life here. And some of the things um, that this life has afforded me is some pretty amazing people that I've met throughout the world. And uh, one of them is my friend, Ronnie. He is my friend in the industry. He's a master craftsperson. He's my interpreter and he's kind of my handler uh, when I go, um, when I go to Brazil. Well, it turns out Ronnie got recruited by the United Arab Emirates, a, a country of countries of sorts. And he is in Abu Dhabi right now coaching a world skills team. People always uh, ask on these painter forums, uh, hey, we should have like an Olympic competition of the of the trades of the craft. This already exists. It's called world skills. Countries 
uh, compete within themselves to make the best team. When that team is selected or wins at the country level, they go to the world skills competition at the world level where countries battle against countries in artisan and technical skills. And I got uh, requested by the government and by my friend Ronnie to go be a guest coach and root on this team and a technical advisor. So uh, tonight, I will get on a nice long plane ride to Amsterdam. Uh, I will land in Amsterdam uh, very early in the morning, and then I will get on a plane to Dubai, and then I will take a car from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, 45 minutes an hour, give or take, and I will be in Abu Dhabi for the next week supporting my friend Ronnie and all these young, skilled artisans from the United Arab Emirates. So as you can imagine, follow along. I will be there. Uh, you guys can follow the entire uh, thing on social media. Um, it will be awesome. So this will be a very interesting sort of uh, trip for me because I have spent lots of time in the Middle East. Uh, I have never been to any place like this where tourists would actually go. So uh, way back in a different life, um, I was in the military and I saw parts of the Middle East I will probably not be allowed to go see again. This is going to be a much different trip where they have uh, malls with indoor ski hills with snow, things like that. And uh, yeah, lots of fancy stuff. So uh, follow along, folks. It's going to be a wild ride. Uh, everybody, especially my Minnesota peeps, if anybody's around here, you know, my travel schedule has been pretty crazy for a while. Um, yeah, let's Round of applause for my wife, that saint who's here uh, taking care of everybody else. We got sick kids. She's homeschooling one of them. We got baseball tryouts today. Um, yeah, we're a hell of a team. She throws in a hand just like that. And uh, boy, we, we do some big stuff together. And I'm glad I have her with me. So if you guys if you guys want to uh, uh, have a thought uh, or, or extend a nicety, uh, doing that to my wife over the next week here or so would, would be pretty nice. So um, all right, folks. I think the only other thing I want to talk about is, uh, uh, well, two things real quick. Number one, then we're going to jump into building a world-class team. Number one, right now, there's tons of people watching. Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Just hit share. Share it to your story. Share it to a page. And if you're part of any of those painter groups on the internet, share it to those groups too, because we want to get a whole bunch of people like us watching this show here. So um, thank you guys so much uh, for what you do. Um, do, 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 do. All right. Last thing is, um, we go through the show Mastering the Basics, right? You guys know how passionate I am about this. This is how to professionalize your business. Everything good has happened to me. Everything good that has happened to me has happened to me in the last five to seven years. It's when I met my friend Jason Paris. It's when I started collaborating with other painters. And it's when I got involved with the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. So again, you guys know how, um, how deeply heartfelt this organization is to me. The kindest thing you can do is follow the link in the show notes and go check out the Business Accelerator. Um, I have taken the steps to professionalization, all these things, mastering the basics, and I've worked with Jason and we've worked with the PCA to create an actual curriculum with a learning management system, uh, with quizzes, with a cohort of your peers, 10 to 15 people, where you can actually get together virtually. There's subject matter experts like me and Jason that pop into the groups and hold you guys accountable and answer questions. And we basically walk you through these steps. This is how passionate I am about this. I'm so passionate that I believe we can change the industry with this. 99% of all paint businesses in the United States are unprofessional and single owner operators, which is not a judgment. Big, big business versus small business is not a value judgment in my mind. You can be small and professional. You can be big and professional. All I'm saying is most of us come into this trade as master craftspeople and painters first, and then we had to learn how to be business owners. 
guess what, folks? I gritted it out for you, along with a whole bunch of other people like Jason Paris. We took all of our best learnings, best practices, condensed it into something that's a multi-week program where you don't have to feel the pain that we did, that trauma of starting up a business, right? We are really good painters. I did not know how to run a business when I did this. I went to college for business. It did not prepare me for what, for what was ahead of me in growing this. And one of the things that gave me the most friction was growing this team. So we're going to talk about building a team today. We're going to talk about uh, fulfilling uh, the dreams of other people, inspiring other people to, uh, to do it with you. Right now, folks, thank you guys for sharing the show to your stories, to your feed, just something. Get it out there. Uh, get it out there and find some more people like us. And please, personal favor to me. I am not a consultant. I'm not a business coach. I'm not a mentor. I don't have anything to sell you guys. I give you everything from my business, everything that I've fought for the last 15 years to create, do the experiments, fail wildly and miserably and, and felt the pain of growing this thing all alone. I've refined these things and I'm giving to you for free. The only thing I ask in return is please be a member of the PCA and support that business accelerator. If you guys actually want to change your lives, change your family's lives, and then change the industry, that is the way we do it. We got a couple years to do it, folks. Let's do this together. So let's jump into mastering the basics. This is show number 354, uh, team development. And boy, do I have some deep thoughts about this. So long after the questions of painting are gone, like there's not many coding science questions that I have anymore. I understand the basic ins and outs of how things work, why they work and where they work. Leadership is a completely other thing. This is a spectrum, it's a timeline. Uh, it's a value scale that I don't think you'll ever solve. So um, one of the things that uh, reinvigorated me in the industry, I mean, this is 30 years I've been messing around as a painter. 25 years into it, I, I found out about this higher levels of leadership, and I realized that that's the next challenge. Painting is easy compared to leading other humans painting. Uh, it's a completely other uh, skill set, and uh, it takes a whole nother sort of like uh, pain level of pain tolerance and things like that. So uh, thank you guys so much. Gustavo, will you talk about your announcement at the PCA? Yes. Uh, remind me later on in the show here, and I will do just that for you. So mastering the basics, team development. Here we go. So you guys know data and feelings. I'm going to lead with a little bit of data. 70% of employees in the U.S. are unhappy with their job, jobs due to negative management. This is something we need to own. 79% of employees will quit their jobs due to lack of appreciation from leaders. Now, employees are not infallible and leaders aren't infallible either, which means there are a lot of bad employees out there. But we also have to recognize there are a lot of bad employers out there, too. 69% of millennials uh, believe that lack of leadership, uh, that there is a lack of leadership development in the workplace. And I would absolutely agree, uh, agree especially when we get into the painting industry. 83% of businesses say it's important to develop leaders. So now you can see there's a big delta between the majority, vast majority of people believe that there's no development in these jobs. 83% of businesses say it's important to develop leaders, but we don't do it very well, especially in the painting industry. Only 5% of organizations have fully implemented leadership development programs. So now, every time there's an employee survey, you get to uh, the, the second or third thing that's important to employees before you start seeing money or bonuses or time off or things. Number one, universally, is always development, teaching, coaching, learning, uh, mentorship, things like that. And honestly, painters, paint business owners, we're not good at that stuff. 
and we don't do it. <coughs> there are 31.7 million businesses in the United States. 25.7 million of them employ zero people, owner operators. 6 million businesses employ one plus person. And there are 3.2 million construction businesses. It's, it's believed that there's about 330,000 painting businesses. So painting, uh, painting businesses make up about 10% of all the trades businesses in the United States. So here's all the U.S. Uh, businesses kind of this is just for perspective for you guys, because number one, I would question, do you need a team? Right. So 79 percent of all businesses are self-employed. 17 percent of businesses employ less than 10 people. Two percent employ 10 to 19 people. And then you start getting to that rarefied air of 22, uh, excuse me, 20 to 99 employees. That's one point seven percent. And then the hundred to five hundred uh, employees, 0.3 percent. So you can see a lot. There's a couple not a couple. There's a big gap between what most businesses are and what the biggest businesses are. So we can look at Fortune 500s and delude ourselves into thinking that everything is a Fortune 500. But really what you find in the United States is the vast majority of businesses are micro businesses. There's a huge gap. And then there's a couple monster businesses at the top. Like I said, 99% of our industry is one or 1.5 people. So that tells you that on odds, we're probably going to be less professional than others. So number one, let's talk about building your team of technicians. And when we talk about technicians, technicians is a universal word for the people who are doing the thing. So think of the welder, the person who's actually welding uh, in a welding company, plumbers, the people who are actually pipe fitting in, in a company, electricians, the people who are actually cutting and connecting wires in an electrician company. And for us, it's painters. Um, one of the most helpful sort of perspectives of the human condition I've ever got in my life is this document, which I'm showing right now on Facebook. You guys are missing out if you're not seeing this. Almost all humans break down either above the line or below the line. And this is how I start creating a coaching and development plan for just about every human in my professional life. There is, there's always this concept of right person, right seat, things like that. But how do you determine the right person? For me, this is how I determine who is the right person. In every single conversation you're going to have with a human, humans are disgustingly consistent, right? Good and bad. Every time you have a conversation with somebody personally or professionally, magically, they break down either above the line or below the line. Above the line would be ownership, accountability, and responsibility. They take ownership of their lot. Below the line, the wrong person would be blame, excuse, deny. So think of every conversation you've had with somebody in your business, professional life, sometimes even clients. Clients sometimes take ownership and responsibility, and sometimes all they do is blame, excuse, deny. You never told me you were going to do this, even though you did, and even though they signed off on a contract. So now, in your professional life, and sometimes even in your personal life, I would urge you to put everybody through the above-the-line, below-the-line filter. Do people take responsibility when they talk to you? Or do they deny, excuse, or make blame? All right, next slide. Come on now. <clears throat> we got a little lag here today. All right, so number one, you want fully aligned compensation plans in your business. This is very important. The best example of a non-aligned comp plan would be this. You compensate your estimators or salespeople based on just a commission of all the revenue they sell. We're just going to give you 4% of, of all the revenue that you sell. The problem with that 
if you incentivize your painters or your project management team or your coordinators or even yourself based on the profitability of projects, now you have somebody at the top of your funnel finding you all this work who is not compensated based on the profitability of projects. And if you have a below the line person who is not aligned with you and your core values, they'll go out there and sell a whole bunch of work at a discounted rate because they're getting bonus no matter what, no matter how the outcome of the project is, they're still getting their 4% on a project. And if you get the wrong person, a below the line person on there, that will be a disaligned incentive. And my project management team or painters couldn't possibly uh, produce the work profitably. And now you get tension, you get peer pressure, and you get resentment, things like that. So it's very, very important that, especially with technicians, you have goal setting and review meetings. And in my company, we rate people on attendance, which is pretty sad, but we have to. Job performance, we want people to hit 75% of their jobs at 45% gross profit or better. And there's also four types of updates that we need to make sure that we can schedule and job cost and uh, make sure we give the client a great experience. And the biggest advice I can give you on this sort of thing is if you're talking about a human's pay benefits, perks, things like that, it cannot be feelings-based. I just interviewed somebody from another painting company uh, this week. They came in looking for a job and basically uh, there was no review process. They had to ask the owner to sit down and talk about their pay. And it typically was once a year, maybe they would get a dollar an hour, but there was nothing to track their actual performance. And the owner, based on the feelings, their whim, if they had a good day or a bad day, either awarded that person money or not. That is disheartening to your people. And that is not what a good leader or a good boss or a professional business does. This needs to be the light switch test. They either did it or they didn't. And it's not up to you or your feelings. It needs to be up to them. They need to be able to control it. It needs to be simple. It needs to be um, transparent and it needs to be predictable. Every comp plan of those three things. That's my, that's my internal test of this stuff. So, when we talk about attendance, that's easy. We pull up their time punches and we just say, did you work 500 hours a quarter or 2000 hours a year for job performance? We go to our job costing. Again, you can see how this, uh, uh, this system, this ecosystem of all these sort of standards and things like this and professionalization works together. And then we do updates. Uh, we have Slack that we report on and we, we watch everybody's updates uh, as they come in and we track them on their ability to do that. So one thing you need to know, taking a big step back from that, is risk and reward profiles are going to be different. One of the things that I made uh, a mistake early on is assuming everybody was exactly like me and wanted to be entrepreneurial and partner up in this business and grow a big old paint business. And uh, there are way less people like me than there are more people like me and you as business owners. Business owners are a pretty rare bunch of people who have a fairly high risk and reward level. You can see I made a little pyramid diagram here. You have to understand that uh, this is statistically, this is not a value judgment of good or bad people. This is just how the world works. When you get to the technician level, the entry level, uh, the, the labor force, they don't have a very high risk and reward profile. They don't want a risky job. They're not willing to risk a lot for a big reward. If you offer free money, they will take it. But very few people at that level are willing to work harder, do something harder, risk to get a bigger reward. 
Now there's outliers, right? And we all look for them. I set up a business that specifically dogs whistle, dog whistles to these people, and we will put our arms around them if we see them. Next level up, you're going to find your leadership team, your project managers, your coordinators, your estimators, things like that. They have a little higher risk and reward. And now I like to change their compensation plans based on that. I like to have a base pay and then a bonus structure so that they are, if they're willing to risk a little more, they can actually affect their pay. And then you get to the owner level, which is we are all risk and reward. We could actually lose money operating these businesses. That's how risky, uh, risk tolerant we are of these sort of things. So just understand that not everybody is going to be like you. And if you set up a painter compensation plan the way the business owner would like to be compensated, it's likely you're going to get a lot of uh, reverb there. You're going to get a lot of pushback and stress that because that person doesn't have the same risk and reward profile as you. Likewise, if we only had as business owners, if you told me I could only make X amount of dollars per hour, doesn't matter how hard I worked, uh, that would not fit my personality. I want to do bigger things. I want to risk more. I want to work harder for a bigger reward. And, and you would get some discord with me if you did that, vice versa. So let's get back to this. Just making sure we're still going on. Yep. We got an IG and TikTok still going here. <coughs> Hawkins Painting. What do you use to, to track working hours? Do your employees clock in every day? Yes, we have an electronic timekeeping app. Uh, the one I use is called Time Station. I did not research any other ones. It's just one I started using 10 years ago, and it's not failed us yet. Yeah, we, we pay people to the minute uh, based, on, based on how they work. So why is this important? Um, why do I tell you guys the different sizes of businesses and things like that? Most businesses don't need a leadership team, really. If you just have a couple painters, you don't need somebody to help you. And I would argue you can't afford it either. We have solopreneurs, and then we have corporations and there's a lot in between. So I would say, if you think you need to build a big leadership team, I think you need to be honest about the revenue that it takes to support that. If you wanna have a leadership team like mine with two estimators, two project managers, a coordinator, me in, in operations, general manager, marketing, things like that, you're gonna need about $3 million worth of revenue a year to afford all that. You know, uh, that's, just the, that's just the math problem that leads you to that. Uh, big business is hard and not many people actually succeed. Honestly, that's why there's only, um, you know, the top half of 1% of all paint businesses uh, have a bunch of employees like that because it is hard. It is hard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys it's not. So, all right. So why build a leadership team? Number one, your time is valuable and it's finite. You don't have a lot of it. You want to preserve a family life. You want people to help you, right? You can do it all, but can you do it all well, right? Typically, we are great business owners and people who like to start up businesses like this. We are good at taking chaos and forming it into something usable. That is a that is a superpower of people like us. The problem is we're not typically the next person to lead a professional business. We're not good with that day-to-day -day drudgery, that integrator level stuff. We're good at taking chaos, making stuff, absorbing. We have high pain tolerances, taking that trauma first thing when we start up businesses. You need to be honest with yourself the way I have over the last couple of years, which is now that we got our business to a professional level and a certain level of autonomy, am I the best person to lead this business? And whether I am or not, I can't afford a CEO or a general manager right now. So I have to do the things that I need to do to be a professional general manager and operations manager right now for my company, even though it goes against uh, my personality and the stuff that I like. Uh, number one, if you want to uh, have a leadership team, if you want an asset, something you can actually sell, I would argue you need to be at least two to three million dollars before you have something even close to sellable uh, in our industry. That is an asset, right? If you 
are the owner and you have three or four painters and think you're going to sell your business uh, at the end of your career, you're probably wrong, honestly. If you're actually getting honest about what you're selling, uh, it's you, you're running a business and you have three people who may or may not even stay on if they buy something. So really your business is worth the equipment you have, honestly, at that level. What makes a business uh, an asset or sellable is uh, a scalable system and a business that runs without the, the owner involved in it. Because hypothetically, owner, when you sell your business, you're probably not going to be around that longer. And if you are the business, what is that person actually buying? So we need to be honest with this. This is not a value judgment that that's good or bad. We just need to be honest. I don't want to delude ourselves into thinking that if we have just a couple painters and we got a, a garage full of equipment that we're going to sell this thing for a million bucks because you will not. There's nobody that's going to buy that. A team will always beat the individual. So you may think you're the best estimator, project manager, maybe even painter in your company, but a team of two, three, four, five will always do better than you, even if they don't do each individual task better than you. A team of five people doing 80% of what you can will always outperform you doing 110%. Absolutely. And think about it with a leadership team, problem solving is way easier. So I go back to the year of COVID. I had a leadership team then. It was absolutely beautiful that when the world was shutting down and we're experiencing a global pandemic, I rallied my team together. We made some decisions and we took care of our people. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, let's go to the next one here. So when do you need a leadership team? So I would say, number one, you got to get your revenue up right there. Your level of service to your clients drops, which I did. Uh, there at one point in my business, I did an experiment where I ran 22 people, 11 crews all by myself. And the first thing to drop off was the level of client service that I really thought my people needed. Uh, daily mass chaos. If you're running a whole bunch of painters, if you're running 10, 20 painters by yourself, you could use a leadership team. Basic functions of the business are being foregone. So like answering the phones, returning emails, job costing, things like that. Um, if those things are, are not being done and you have a whole bunch of painters and revenue, you need a leadership team. If it's just you as a single owner operator and you're not job costing, that's still your fault. You're not going to hire a leadership team to support one painter in the field. You have a statistically large business for your industry, right? So I'm not going to sit here and say, listen, one of the things that, that I dislike hearing is that, hey, listen, it's me and it's two other painters in the field and I hate all that computer work. I'm just going to hire somebody to do the computer work. Number one, you can't afford it. If it's just you and a couple painters, you honestly cannot afford somebody on an overhead position with that. Those are things you need to do in order to grow a business to the point where you can afford it, give or take. I would say the point where you can even consider taking on an overhead or a leadership team position is anywhere between five and 10 painters. I would argue way closer to 10 painters than to five, because you're going to put yourself under a huge economic stress. If you're, if you have you and five painters and you take on an office admin, guess what? You still have to paint 40 hours a week. And now you have to train and hold this office coordinator accountable. If you hire somebody as an office coordinator, a project manager, or an estimator, you are not wiping your hands of that responsibility. Now, instead of you estimating, you have to hold that estimator accountable. And same thing with all the positions. Sometimes that can take just as much effort as actually doing the work yourself. When do you not lead a leadership team? Well, I'm not good at this, so I hired it out. And you don't have the revenue to support it. You must have the revenue to support this, give or take. The leadership team will run your business for you. No, they will not. You run the business and you need to hold people accountable. That's what a good leader does. There is a huge um, uh, 
there's a huge sort of problem with the way we think about leadership teams with is I hired a project manager. So now I never have to worry about that part of the business again. No, you don't. You need to onboard that person. You need to train that person. You need to develop them. Remember, we talked about developing humans. It needs to be a constant effort. You need to have goal setting and review meetings. You need to review their work. You need to make sure that there's an SOP and that they're following it. It is a monstrous lift as a leader to hold leadership team members accountable. And so don't think that when you hire somebody else, you wipe your hands of it and you never have to think about it again. That is a huge problem because things get off track and you don't have a system to get them back on track. So you're unprofessionalized. When do you not need a leadership team or don't have the proper systems and processes in place? Here's a problem. A lot of people are like, I don't like writing SOPs. I'm going to hire somebody. They're going to do them all for me, things like that. The problem is, you know, the information in these SOPs better than anybody else. And I think it's your problem to get them done. Now, you can have somebody do some data entry or whatever, but you still have to hold them accountable. People aren't going to come into your business, know what your core values are, know the way you think and create something in your business that's going to be perfect without your intervention in it. So also, I would be very, very leery of you taking on a bunch of overhead positions if you don't know how to hold people accountable or don't gravitate towards it. This is something, if I'm being upfront and honest, I am not good at. I am a passive aggressive, introverted Midwesterner. I don't like eye contact and I don't like having awkward conversations with people, but I've created a system of accountability around it that will make sure that people function in my business um, to the best of their abilities. Now, it's still painful for me and it never is going to get better. I, I've made peace with that, that this accountability thing is not something I'm going to look forward to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put on my Spartan helmet. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to run towards it every single time because that's what a good leader does. So what does a basic leadership team look like? So you kind of have on a bigger business, you have a visionary and an integrator. Most very successful businesses have two sort of people at the top. You got the big relationship person, the, the, the high flying salesperson, the founder of the company, who's typically the visionary, who loves looking out into the future, taking chaos, developing it into something cool. Then you have an integrator. This is kind of the traction model. There is a human who takes those big ideas from the visionary and actually functions in them every day. A professional CEO, a professional president of a company, a professional general manager who loves that day-to-day -day micro accountability, the mundane, the unsexy stuff, all the little block and tackle things that needs to get done in order for a business to run. Typically, the visionary is not great at that. And typically, the integrator is not great at coming up with new big relationships, vision for the future, crazy innovations, things like that. And those two function really well together. Here's the problem, folks. Unless if you have a smaller painting business, the only way you're ever going to be able to afford this is if it's you and your spouse or you and your partner, because you are not going to be able to afford $150,000, $200,000 compensation package for an integrator or a visionary at anything under maybe even $5 million in revenue, give or take. And then uh, you have just regular, you have operations, you have finance, you have, you know, things like that at the bottom. But that's basically how it breaks down, give or take. All right, come on, PowerPoint, let's do this. So what does a typical trades leadership team look like? When I survey our industry, this is what I find. You have a whole bunch of technicians. You have estimating or sales team. You have production team, which can be project managers. You have some sort of coordinator or office team, and then possibly visionary integrator. But typically, we can't afford an integrator or a visionary, so we kind of need to be both of those things, give or take. All right. Come on, folks. When I click, I want a new slide. 
thought experiments. So these are just musings of my mind <coughs> to kind of show you some typical things I've experienced in the industry as far as what the org chart and then the teams look like. So with industry benchmarks, these are some very, very low industry benchmarks. If, if a painter creates $55 of revenue an hour, works 2000 hours a year, they're going to make between hundred to $110,000 of revenue for a company. If a, a, prod, a production manager can, or a project manager can typically manage 1 million and an estimator can sell a million. Those are very low benchmarks. I don't even think they're usable anymore, but here is a very, very low version of a $1 million business unit where you have the owner, you have a project manager, Manager, you have an estimator and you got painters, give or take. Solopreneur puts six painters. So I start putting a little PL together for you guys with this stuff to, to show you where we can come up with some, you know, it, it's not growing a paint business is not linear. You add a person, you get more money, add a person, get more money. You're going to find that there's areas where, you know, you grow up to 10 painters and then you got to add some overhead. You grow up to 20 painters, then you got to add some overhead. You grow to 30 painters, then you add some overhead. So it's kind of like a step and lane sort of thing like this where plateaus. So think about this solopreneur plus six painters. Uh, it, again, this is you still all doing this. This is three crews of people potentially take home about $118,000 in uh, net profit a year if done very, very well. Now, risk and reward, right? We have to know what we're getting into. This isn't good or bad, but it's you. You're doing every single thing. Owner plus a project manager and 10 painters. So now you can see you go from about $118,000 in net revenue for something like this and maybe about 143,000 because now you have some overhead position, but you got to add some painters in there to support that overhead position. I would argue that there's some benchmarks for sales and production and you, you'll find them plus or minus 2%, but typically uh, you should be using about 5% of your revenue for a project management team and 5% of your revenue for an estimating team. And I would argue that's a little bit low. The typical project manager or estimator that's going to do any good work for your for your business should be should be paid likely between 70 and $100,000 a year. So that would put you in a million dollar business between seven and 10% of all of your revenue is going to go towards one of those. If you go to 2 million, now all of a sudden it's much less. So now owner, project manager, estimator and 10 painters. And you can see because you added an overhead position, your net profit is dropping. So now you're in this constant game of we add overhead, but then we need the production in order to, to, to get it higher. Now, all of a sudden, we got a bunch of production. We need overhead to support it. And it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing as you grow, give or take. So owner, project manager, estimator, and admin. And now you can see where all your net profit goes because you're not really adding any more revenue. You're just adding more overhead to that thing. So now you need more production, more revenue to support your higher overhead. All right, come on, PowerPoint. So dead zones, uh, jumping from 1 million to 2 million with the same team. So this is where uh, I like to find uh, the uh, the biggest success in painting businesses, which is if you believe the industry averages, you know, a, uh, a project manager and an estimator should both be able to sell and produce a million bucks, right? But the data that I have would be that my project managers at a minimum will do about 1.5. And I believe we can coach them closer to 2 million a piece. So now this is where it gets interesting. You could have a million dollars of revenue with two overhead people, a project manager, an estimator, or if you coach them, you might be able to get $1.5 million of revenue with that same team. So that means there's an extra $500,000 of revenue that comes in so you can pay them higher and you can also make more net profit yourself. This is where coaching, development, mentoring, training, and things like that will take your people from bare minimum kind of crappy industry benchmarks into something much better.
All right, Micah Stelter. God, man, you guys are always watching. Uh, um, all my friends at Olive Holdings here. Uh, speaking my language, I hear a lot of people say, I tried a sales leader or project manager leader. It didn't work out. What have you heard in the industry and what is uh, what is the root in your mind? Yeah, so this is one of those things where Micah, if I understand correctly, this is what I'm taking from that, which is I hired somebody. They need accountability. They needed to be trained. I'm not good at any of that stuff. They didn't just automatically solve all the problems by themselves. And now I have to do something about it. Well, congratulations. That's exactly what leadership is. And it never goes away. You will never hire somebody, wipe your hands of them, and they will solve all the problems in your business forever. Good leaders will have training, development, coaching, and accountability systems to get the most out of your people. Now, here's where it gets a little more exciting. You got an owner, you got a project manager, you got an estimator, you got an admin, and 20 painters, give or take. If you can coach your team to sell $2 million and produce $2 million, now you're looking at that net profit of $185,000 uh, plus the owner's pay down below. That's a pretty more, that's a much more interesting form of business. But again, these are sort of clean models like thought experiments. In reality, this is what you're going to find, which is there's a lot of stuff going on, right? You have subs, you have part-timers, you have full-timers, you got a couple estimators. Uh, in this form in 2021, we had one estimators, two project managers, a coordinator, we had shop logistics, we had all sorts of stuff. They grow in different sort of ways. Now, as you can see, we change our org chart a little bit here. Uh, in quarter four of last year, this is where we looked at, uh, this is where we looked uh, from there. I was building up my leadership team and everything else. So there's lots of stuff going on. It, it's not clean, it's not linear, all that other stuff. So here's what I here's what I like to see. And you'll find industry benchmarks where painters should be able to make $110,000 revenue a year. I think that's sadly low. I think they should be able to produce between 130 and 150K at revenue a year. Uh, like I said, uh, industry benchmark for a project manager is 1 million. I think we can coach them to two. I, I know my people can do 1.5 now. It just depends if sales can keep up with them. Uh, estimators 1 million. Right now, the way we report sales, uh, estimator Andy's approaching $3 million in sales a year. So um, that $1 million mark may be, I think that's low even for produce because you have two different numbers. You have the um, uh, recorded sales number and then what actually gets produced. And those are two different numbers during the year. Sales is usually higher by the time it gets through the project management phase and actually gets invoiced. Typically, jobs get a little smaller, give or take. But yeah, that's kind of what we think about this. Micah, yes, I also think a culture and vision for each leader for where you're going in the next 10 years together. I agree. Uh, a good leader will share the vision of the company and uh, inspire those people uh, to do fun things with you. <coughs> so the next thing I'm working on, and I, and I have some pr uh, pretty interesting graphs, but when I survey a bunch of you know paint business owners and I find where we naturally find ourselves in high growth and then plateau, high growth and plateau, Typically, what you'll find is like the two, three, four, five, six million dollar model. And I think probably what it's more likely is I used to think uh, the plateaus occurred at million dollar marks. I now think gathering some more data, even beyond the graph I'm showing you or the uh, tables I'm showing you now, there's about a million and a half dollar steps that you take. So if you want to grow from four to five, I would argue you kind of need to grow to, from four to 4.5, give or take, because if you're going to have to add enough overhead, if you add a project manager and you're going to need them to do about $1.5 million in produced projects, if you only do 800,000, you're going to lose on that business unit right there. So um, I'm circling around a theory and an argument that uh, as paint businesses grow past 1 million, 1.5 million, we basically need to grow in 1.5 million increments in order to generally, generally make it uh, make it a smooth 
transition in the residential re residential repaint industry, give or take. So here, my goal is to not have those crazy troughs because we always talk about growing through the troughs. We'll get to a level of overhead where all of a sudden, you know, we don't have enough production to support or overhead heavy, and we got to go through a period of loss to get to the win. What I want to do is try to make it a little more linear where you can take that $1.5 million increment. So the way we think about the next step in our business, we're doing about $3 million. I think we need to be at least 4.5 in the next step that we do. That's going to be one more estimator, one more project manager, and probably eight to 10 painters all at once. We can't add project manager, estimator, and no more revenue because that's, you know, arguably maybe $180,000 of the overhead with no revenue to support it. We need to then have all, all three legs of the stool, sales, uh, sales and estimating, project management, and the production side, the painters, all grow together, give or take. And that's where the data is pushing me. So Chris Moore, my good friend, actually a nice guy, Chris Moore. That's an inside joke between us. Uh, Nick, thanks for putting all these data points and P&L models together. I think if more painters saw this, it would help them think bigger about their businesses and look at it from a 30,000-foot overview and grow and address their weaknesses. Um, yeah, I, there is nothing, Chris Moore and Mike Estelter and all my friends watching this, there is nothing I like more than sitting down and doing these thought experiments about taking all the little chess pieces, all the little monopoly pieces, putting them together, shaking them through a PL and see what turns out. And it's it's that process of that's that's what a visionary does for their business. It looks into the future and starts theorizing. It's not just one more painter or one more project manager. We need to grow in business units of $1.5 million. And now you're putting that into the PL and seeing where it's at. It's a great thing. And without without being a professionalized business, none of this stuff is possible. Right. So here's some job descriptions, KPIs and comp plans. One of my promises to you guys is I'm going to send you along some basic job descriptions for um, uh, for project manager, for estimator and then office coordinator as well, too. Uh, things that um, there's not many things that I've done right the first time. But these comp plans, I did an enormous amount of research. I use consultants. We use um, um, uh, personality testing. And honestly, I got these things right. I got these things right, right off the bat. Now there's been tweaks since, but the skeleton of them, the basis of them, 98% of them still exists after about four or five years. So I will tell you that all that upfront research and stuff like this really work well. Danilo, uh, Bautarde, or Bautarde, no, it'd be uh, Bongia. Good morning, my friend, uh, down in Brazil there. Dan Pemberton, what would be a rough timeline goal from setting a uh, goal? from setting the 1.5 goal to achieving it. Six months, years, two. So <clears throat> two options for that, Dan. This is what I love doing. W-2 employee is going to take you a lot. W-2 model is going to take you longer than subcontracting. If you want a great example of this, um, uh, uh, our friend Brad Ellison uh, did this in about a year. He grabbed a project manager. He grabbed a bunch of subs and did 1 to 1.5 in one year. That's, that's probably the easiest, quickest way of doing this. Um, the W-2 model is going to take you a little longer, but the, the one thing that the biggest change in the industry that I'm seeing right now, that is sort of like anecdotal, but anecdotal with a whole bunch of data points is that almost nobody does just crazy, huge W-2 models anymore. Everybody who is starting up a business is looking at the data using first principles reasoning and is now doing hybrid models where just like my business, we have part-time W-2s that come seasonal. We have full-time W-2s, our flagship all year round. And then we also have subcontracting too. Those things are, one is not better than the other. All those things are tools and weapons that you can use to provide value to clients. So 
Hawkins, thank you for taking the time to share. Absolutely, man. Can you email the packet for this presentation? All right, here's the here's the deal, folks. My email address is in the show notes. You must email me and I will reply to it with all that because people will get, uh, if, if I get in here and copy all your email addresses and email you, I will get them wrong. I'm not a compliance guy. So you need to email me. My email address is in the show notes and I will send you uh, the resource packet from building a team together. So here's some basic job descriptions and KPIs that we look for in the industry here. Thank you all for watching. There's a monstrous amount of people watching here today. And I, uh, I am deeply appreciative of everybody. <laughs> All right. Oh, my friend Ronnie is watching on Instagram. Ronnie, we'll see you in about 24 hours, my friend. I'm going to Abu Dhabi with him. So here's, here's our basic bonus structure first. Actually, let's go through some. Oh, let's make sure we got this. Uh, Ace. Hey, Nick. My first year as a contractor here in California, I made 300K. Do you think I'm, I'm doing good? Any advice? Doing good is what's your stress level? What's your net profit? Uh, how good is your finish? Things like that. So um, 300K in your first year is not bad, but it depends what your plan is and if you're meeting your plan or not. So uh, Steve Lockwood, thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, man. Micah. There we go, buddy. All right. Here's here's the basic idea of my bonus structure. I love things that are simple. Basically, we have an internal benchmark of 45% gross profit for our projects. Now, remember, go back to the job costing episode. We want to keep materials to 15% or less. We want to keep labor to 40% or less, give or take here. Our bonus structure is this. If you are an estimator or project manager, you basically have the same comp plan, right? My argument is to keep everything simple, everything straightforward. It's got to be simple, transparent, and predictable. Those are the three things I look for in a comp plan. Every job that hits 45% gross profit or better gets put into the green column. Every job that does not goes into the red column. In the green column, all jobs that hit 45% gross profit or better, my project manager and estimator for that project get at least 2% of the revenue from that project as a bonus. This is paid quarterly. We review it weekly in our job costing, and then it's compiled quarterly by me and another senior member. And because we review it weekly, there's not any surprises there. Um, Heidi. Do all of your PM start as apprentices? No, they absolutely do not. If you get hired as a project manager from day one, you are managing projects. Uh, you typically don't start as a painter in my company. And we haven't had very much success taking painters and making them part of the leadership team. Uh, two different risk and reward profiles and typically two different personality styles, but I'm open to it uh, when we find the right person. So a project manager, and these are, these are some of the things that I'm going to send you guys, which is I actually did the research on these roles. I took personality tests like the best project manager I could find. And I actually did something, which is we made a whole bunch of KPIs and I actually allocated um, their time into four buckets and I made priorities and I made how much time each week that like a project manager, um, I would need to put forward stuff. Uh, there's things like getting the project ready, seeing the project through, closing it out, and then all the uh, coordination and logistics that go with it here. So um, project managers, give or take, base pay starts between 40 and 50K, uh, depending on negotiations. It can, be, it can be more, it can be less, whatever. <laughs> In my company, we have about $8,800 worth of perks and benefits. We're talking PTO, um, um, retirement, health insurance, uh, company vehicle, tech package, all this other sort of stuff like this. Um, bonuses. Uh, and it's negotiated. It's also based on people's tenure. I have a progression scale where people get a higher percentage every year that they stay here. But that's basically the idea there. And this, what, what a comp plan like this does is allows a very high performer to make six figures in this position. 
For somebody who does not, it's the wrong person for the right seat. Uh, it's likely they will not make very much money or they will respond poorly to accountability and then find their way out of my business. But it's there's not a way where a very low performer can get a lot of money in my company based on this. And I want my high performers to be rewarded much better than somebody who does not perform very well. That's the goal. Estimator and sales, same thing. I did all the research. I talked to all the companies. Four or five years ago, I made this comp plan. Again, I divided it into buckets and KPIs, and I allocated how much time each week is, is for each thing. And this is the result of that, where we allocate that. And uh, we actually have responsibilities and key accountabilities to different areas of the company. And these are all measurable, again. And I will send these. So same thing. We're looking at a 40 to 50K base. We're looking at benefits and perks about 8,800. And same thing. Somebody very high revving can make six figures in this company doing this. Not a big deal. And then we have an office coordinator too. This is a, a very long list because this is in support of everybody else throughout the uh, throughout the company. And it depends. This can be an eighteen to twenty dollar an hour job uh, that is a very low educational threshold, or you can go find somebody with a college uh, with a bachelor's or a master's degree who is a professional admin and coordinator, and it's going to cost you a lot more money. It just depends what your company needs and what the job description is. And based on the coordinator, we have a whole bunch of KPI. Again, you're they have responsibilities to every other silo in the company. And you'll kind of see this through here, which is it is a long job description of things like that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I have to write my own job description because I have key accountabilities and KPIs to the people in this company. And uh, I actually get rated every week as well on how I'm doing. So when I write it out, again, you have to fill in. It's kind of comical at some point when you're the business owner. We're still at $3 million worth of revenue. We got a whole bunch of uh, great people, but still I control somewhere between nine and 14 job descriptions in the company because those are the things that is not in anybody else's job description and we kind of need to do. So aligning the goals and incentives. Remember, this is a very, very important thing. This is a very important thing to actually have an ecosystem that is holistic and everybody pushes each other in the right direction. You want some necessary tension and accountability between all the silos in your business. You want all their incentives to be aligned and you want everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. So think about it like this the compensation. It is a table and we have attendance, we have budgets and we have updates. And we want the estimator, a leg of the table holding it up. We want the owner. You want my incentives aligned as well. You want all your craftspeople and you want production. All of them, if they get a reward for doing well, everybody should get a reward or at least be rowing in the same direction with those rewards and have those rewards aligned. So how about recruiting all these people? Uh, oh, row painting. PCA benefits all of us in the industry. Joining PCAs allow this information sharing and more. I couldn't agree more. I'm a big fan. I spent time with you guys down in New Mexico. We had a great time. I do appreciate all that. So think about who you're trying to get in your company. It's likely, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. It's likely that if you put an ad out for an experienced painting industry estimator that functions in a data-based data -based estimating system and a large professional painting company, that talent pool is so small, it's almost non-existent. It's likely you're going to have to find somebody with the right personality and teach them how to do this. This is where our industry is at right now. So when you think about bringing people into your company. Remember, we operate under that decent human being theory, which is we want people who are aligned with our core values and we will teach them to do this. Estimator Andy is one of the greatest examples of this. Couldn't be a better friend, couldn't be more aligned in core values. 
Uh, he was a master craftsperson like myself. And together we had to teach each other how to function in a professional business as a professional estimator and somebody who holds an estimator accountable. So when we're looking on, on, on a job ad and things like that, you have to do something different to appeal to a different type of person if that's your thing. And that's an example of a job ad right there. So training. Remember, folks, onboarding and training is a huge thing. And most paint businesses are really bad at this, which is we put that ad out there. We get a rock star in and we say, please just go do this. I don't ever want to hold you accountable. Just make these problems go away. That's not how it works, folks. You're a team and you need to work together. So in my company, we we ascribe uh, to the Doragi method of training, which is demonstrate, observe, redemonstrate, assign a task, goal set, and then inspect the work over and over and over again. This is not one day crash course and then you wipe your hands of it like that. This has to be constant, 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 constant. This is not a video series that's gonna solve this either. This is you, this is someone else, a human, human to human training and then constantly checking in and holding people accountable. So what are you gonna train them on? We need an SOP. This is my estimating and sales SOP. If uh, you watched my uh, estimating master's class on here, my Mastering the Basics, I sent this SOP to you. It's a very useful document. How do you hold your estimators accountable? Well, you got to have an agreed upon document that you can train them and then hold them accountable to. Same thing with a project manager. Magically, we got one of those too, that based on their job description, we start laying out a to-do list and things that we can rate them on, and then we rate them regularly and give them coaching. Same thing with an office coordinator here too. This has been the one in the biggest flux because uh, the, it's the newest overhead position in my company. It's only been around for about a year and a half, uh, maybe maybe a year and three quarter. And uh, based on the personality, that person is either more or less capable of these things. And we change the uh, job description to base uh, the capabilities of that person and the needs of the business. So the one thing I want you guys to understand, and this is with hiring painters or a leadership team, this is not a set it and forget it thing, everybody. Good leaders have accountability methods. And if you want to win, you need to find a way, whether you're aggressive, stare you in the eyes, lots of eye contact, run towards a firefight person who loves those interactions, holding tension, holding people's feet to the fire, or you don't like me, you still have to do it. You still have to do it. You need to run towards a firefight and it's not once a year accountability. This has to be micro. This needs to be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, all the time. There is no way around it. So basics of the of accountability. This is the biggest thing that I needed to work on and still do need to work on as a leader. I'm bad at accountability, folks. I'm not naturally set up to do this, but I have to find a system in order to win. Automatic processes. So I, I put my biggest bit of accountability I force myself to do. I cannot get out of. It is my weekly leadership team meeting. It is every Monday morning. It's two hours and it is sacred time. There is not a time where my leadership team is able to set appointments during that time to not be there unless they're on vacation. That is time where we must all be there because that is the time that we're going to use to hold each other accountable, give or take. So um, it's non-negotiable, same place, same time, and it uh, ends at the same time. It's that same agenda every week, and it's getting in that rhythm. You can't have random meetings or take meetings when you have the time for them because you will never have the time. Number one, based on everybody's job description and KPIs, everybody has to num have to number, and they have to report on track or off track. Also, if they're off track, you got to have that mentoring support and development for them. 
And this is our weekly meeting schedule right here. Again, it's a G sheet. We start at the top, we work our way down to the bottom. It's a pretty awesome process like that. Now, remember, leadership team KPIs. Everybody else, ha everybody has to have a KPI and report weekly because we have to do pattern detection. If you find somebody not hitting their numbers a couple of weeks in a row, you need to step in and have some really high accountability and coach and mentor in an empathetic way to get those numbers up. And one of the biggest things that we do too, is we work through the KPIs. I get the pulse of the business. And then towards the bottom, what we, what usually takes the biggest time in each leadership team meeting is a process called IDS, identify, discuss, and solve, where each member of the leadership team can populate a list of things that we need to discuss. We need to identify a potential uh, opportunity, a problem, a friction point, discuss a solution, and then solve it together. And this is one of the things that we are really, really good at where we populate this list and we just hammer it every week. So leadership lessons learned over the week. This has been the area that I needed the most improvement in. Um, uh, when I first started my business 15 years ago, I was not a good leader. Um, I was a very good master crash person with a gung-ho attitude. And uh, I did a lot of yelling and screaming at young people, do it better, do it faster, just the way that my father had done with me. And that's not always the best way to lead. So number one, lead with empathy, but empathy Given if you give empathy to the right people, the people that share your core values, they will appreciate it and return that empathy. If you give empathy to people who don't share your core values, they will chew you up. You will be taken advantage of and it will create a bad culture in your business. So remember, this person, in order to receive an empathy from empathy from a leader, they must share your core values. If there's any question, if they can't do the basic minimum of the job, they should not get empathy. They should get coaching and training and mentoring. If they can do the bare minimum of the job, they deserve your empathy, but they have to earn it, right? Assume positive intent. This is something I took from my kids' um, uh, principal, Mr. Giesen, uh, super smart guy, super great leader, a uh, friend of mine here. And uh, God, he he's given me a bunch of great leadership lessons over the years. Because you think of a principal, he's got a monstrous business, and he's got all these kids, hundreds and hundreds of kids, a hundred different faculty members, you know, things like that. And uh, he he taught me something which was great. It's like, how do you deal with angry parents? These parents that parents have a lot of feelings about their kids, and they love calling the principal and hammering the principal about my my little Johnny could have been taught better, or somebody said something off color to little little Rachel, or something like that. He said how he functions in it is API. Assume positive intent. Assume that every human who interacts with you has a positive intent. You'll view the conversation differently and you'll act a little differently. Number one, there should be goals. There should be, um, <clears throat> you should, everybody in your business, including yourself, should have three levels of basic goals, which is, or, or levels of being rated. On the lowest end, there, there should be a level of performance that get you removed from the company or you remove the opportunity. There should be one that keeps your job, but you need to improve. And then there's one that should get you a raise. Those three things, right? We should be rating everybody, including ourselves on those. So, all right, think about violations of accountability, right? A technical skill. Let's say somebody missed an email, right? I believe that um, that demands soft mentoring, teaching, coaching, a little bit of Duragi, give or take. But if somebody has a core value violation, you are stern, you are direct, and you set expectations. And typically you put them on a performance plan and say, if this ever happens again, you're not going to be here. Problem solving. So think about problem solving with your team too, which is you can solve problems with money or with time or with both. So always think about possible solutions based on that. Do you have more money or more time right now? Or is the best solution a hybrid of both? Um, overhead. 
Hiring a new overhead position should bring immediate and tangible benefits. That's my belief. Now, there is a way of growing a business where you have no revenue and no painters and no subs, and you create a leadership team, and then you race to fill their revenue so that you can afford your uh, team. That is based on the personality of you as the business owner, if you would like to have that team first and then fill it with revenue. The way I grew my business is, a, to, in my mind, a lower risk um, form, which is I did a, all the jobs forever. I grew that revenue. And then when I hired somebody, it was an immediate relief to the business. Two ways of doing it, not right, not wrong. It just depends on your personality. Um, so here, here is a great lesson, which is uh, at the project manager role, I actually made two back-to-back -back hires that were wrong people right seat. And immediately how I, how I came up with, uh, and now use, I didn't come up with this. I got this from somebody else, but how I came up with my own system for accountability that above the line, below the line was basically, I looked at two people who functioned very well in a project manager position, and they always took ownership, responsibility, and accountability. The two people who did not function well, blame, excused, and denied every single thing, even to the point of like, to the simple things, which is, Hey, there's four clients that uh, didn't get emails back on Monday. You said you were going to get Monday. And that person would say, yeah, I did. And then we can open their email and see they didn't. And that is a big problem. That's a sign that somebody's not going to be in your business longer. I don't have many data points that says you can coach people out of from, a, from below the line to above the line. Okay. Sorry, delay again here. All right, I think that's it for my slideshow here, guys. Let's think about some questions here. I'll go through and we'll see what we got here. Ah, John Milkovich, do I have to be a member of the PCA to sign up for the Business Foundations Group? So, all right, here's the deal. No, but come on, folks. It's a dollar, dollar ten, dollar twenty a day, give or take. And uh, what what that gets you is uh, painters training, health insurance. Uh, overdrive, all that other stuff. Uh, it is an amazing resource, folks. Uh, a personal ask, a personal favor is that you guys join me in the PCA. So um, up above, there was somebody asking, hey, can you reiter reiterate what you talked about um, at the PCA? Uh, here we go. Will you talk about your announcement at the PCA Expo? Yes. So here's my announcement, folks. I just got elected board chair and we have a lot of work to do in this industry. Um, board chairs before me, like Gina Court and Jason Paris and the entire boards have done an amazing amount of work that nobody's seen to make sure that we have resources for the industry. And we actually have something that will change the industry. Now, here's the deal, folks. You can take a look at the hockey stick curve of what I've done. And I've been in this industry for 30 years. I was here for 25 years before I talked to another painter and got involved with the PCA. Magically, at that same inflection point, I went from zero people to 40 in that last five or six years because of the PCA, because of the people I met there, because of the resources there. So I would say this, folks, there is not one single person who has ever become a member of the PCA, gone through the painter's training or gone through business accelerator that just said eh, like that. Every single person comes up to me and says, change my life. So here's the deal, folks. If you're going to get serious about this stuff, you got to get serious. We should be we should be thinking about growing our businesses and being better humans in two ways. We need to push the craft forward as far as we can, but we need to push the business and the professionalism as far as we can at the same time. We cannot choose, right? 
think about how stupid this would be if you're talking about another business. There's Casey's, convenience stores and gas stations here in the upper Midwest. They're known for their world-class pizza. If Casey's only focused on their world-class pizza and didn't worry about accounting and bookkeeping and job costing or seeing if they're actually made money, they would go out of business and they wouldn't have a chance to practice making that beloved pizza that they're so known for. Same thing goes for our painting businesses. Great. Focus on the next can of paint or the next sprayer and completely forgo job costing and everything else. And you are going to be a statistic. You're going to create the finest finishes in the world. You're going to make the happiest clients and you're going to lose your ass on every single job. And between one and three years, you're going to go out of business because you're making $43,000 a year. That's our industry statistics. The average paint business owner, and you can say you're not one of these, but if you haven't job costed, you don't actually know. The average paint business owner takes home $43,000 a year. That's $21.5 an hour. And you can say that you're not that, but until you've job costed, you cannot prove it. A professional business, job costs. So let's get out there. Let's get out there and do this. I was at a trade show in Chicago, and we had a whole bunch of painters staring at the Graco and Titan booth, and they were looking at those big boys. They're looking at that Mark V sprayer, the one that sprays drywall mud. I mean, what are we talking, three to five grand, six grand for some of these things? People have no problem paying $4,500 for a big boy sprayer, and then they sit there and pose with it on the internet and say, look at my new toy. Meanwhile, I'm standing here at the PCA, and for... 500 bucks, you could be a member for a year and get all these resources. You can have access to everybody like me in the industry that will actually help you for free in your business. And for maybe 800 to 1,000 bucks, you can get the most world-class business training on the planet for our industry. Things that ask anybody who's been through the Business Accelerator program, they lead with life-changing. It made me think differently about this, about the craft, about my business in the future. So folks, Listen, I do not want to come off as this shill that's trying to get you to be a member of some group, things like that. But I have laid down almost seven years of track record of doing this for free for you. I'm not a I'm not a consultant. I'm not a business coach. I'm not a salesperson. I have nothing to sell you. I'm standing here giving you all of my resources the way that other PCA members have given me resources. The only reason I am where I am today is because of the people I'm seeing right here, the John Busicks who are commenting on this stuff. So I will tell you this, you want to get serious. You want to practice this craft the rest of your life and you want to do it with the least amount of pain. Join me. I dare you put your money where your mouth is. How serious about this are you? There's business accelerator and there's the PCA. I dare you to come to an expo. Just show up sometime. Your life will be changed. If you get into Business Accelerator, I can guarantee you, you will make more money and you will have less stress the second you join Business Accelerator. Let's go through another couple of questions. Sorry, I get a little serious about this stuff, but I really want to do this with you guys. So, all right. John Busick, love the leadership lessons. Thanks for sharing. Sticking to your core values when you have a lot of work and not enough painters is the biggest challenge in business today. I agree, man. I absolutely agree. Holy cow, we're getting comments coming through here. Uh, much easier to let things slide accountability in order to solve immediate problems. Yep, you and I both know, John, uh, that's not the way good leaders do it. And good leaders struggle with maintaining that <coughs> in good and bad times here. So, oh, man. Lots of people. Giuliano Alcantara, 
Bonjia, my friend. Ronnie Bonjia over in the UAE. I'm going to be seeing him later. I'm preparing for a trip to Abu Dhabi tonight, guys, so it's going to be fun. Scott McDowell, transitioning from a solo operator wearing all the hats into one to three full-time employees. What's the appropriate amount of time to be on the job site? Uh, so here's the deal. You're going to get an opinion from me. Um, this is one of the most eye-opening things that I can share with you guys, which is there's a simple math problem with job costing that will tell you, Scott, let's just say you're making 70, 80 grand a year as a solo painter. If you want to replace that income but not paint, you're going to need at least four people highly trained and being profitable in the field consistently to replace your income. You are a painter, and the, the common misconception is I'm going to go out of the field, and I'm going to put one more painter in the field, and that's one painter replaces another. I make the same money. You do not make the same money because you're likely not paying yourself a W-2 wage. You do have to pay them a W-2 wage. So here's the deal. I would say a minimum is four is four people in the field working productively so you cannot paint anymore. Um, typically what I see is people cowboy to a million. They'll get 10 painters, five crews. They'll be doing all the project management, all the estimating, and then they cap out on revenue. They're working 80 hours a week. They can't produce anymore. They're stuck. They're hiring, recruiting, training. When some people leave, it adds a big stress, this and that. The problem is you need to make a big revenue jump. You can cowboy to a million. I see this all the time. But if you want to be a professional company, you're going to have to add at least one, maybe two overhead positions. And now you're going to have to go 1.5 to 2 overnight if you add those overhead positions, things like that. So row painting. I have gotten customers and employees based on my professional affiliation with the PCA. The industry standards will uh, support you in contract negotiations. Absolutely. Phil Klein. Ask a Painter Live Retreat, definitely worth the investment. Ooh, yes, that's I just announced the summer one uh, this week here. So uh, Juan Jimenez, couldn't agree more about joining the PCA, best business experience in my life. Ace Malaya, hey, Nick, what's the pros and cons if you do two trades, painting and general contractor? So here's the deal. Deep thoughts about this. I know a lot of people who do this well. There's guys like Jason Phillips who do this very well. <laughs> the problem is people like us, visionaries, entrepreneurs, owners, we get shiny object syndrome where we look at, hey, my God, this is going well. Let's start a concrete polishing division. The problem is most of us aren't doing well and we just get excited and energy from starting new things. So even while one thing is on fire or not functioning well, we will find another thing because that gives us energy. And we don't even know that we're, you know, spiting our nose for our face or whatever the heck that sort of saying is like that. So I will say this. Branch off into other things if you want, but make sure that you're doing a true, at least industry average net profit, and it's stable with one function before you go to another or service. <coughs> All right, everybody. I think that's going to be it for me. Um, please, right now, everybody is sharing. we got a monstrous amount of people. Share this show right now in your feed, in your stories, to painters groups, things like that. Um, I am going to be spending some intense family time today because I'm leaving for the Middle East uh, for the next week. I'll be flying out uh, to Amsterdam tonight and then on to Dubai and Abu Dhabi uh, later on Sunday. It'll be about a 24-hour travel period for me. I'll be there in support of my friend Ronnie. Uh, Brazilian Ronnie, he, he's there coaching a world skills team of young people, uh, artisans and craftspeople. And I'm going there to be a technical advisor and guest coach. So you guys uh, will be will be getting a whole bunch of stuff on social media, follow along. And uh, the next time we do an Ask a Painter, 
we're going to bring the whole Mastering the Basics series to a conclusion. We're going to wrap it up and then we're going to get on to having guests and we're going to paint stuff and all this other stuff. So thank you guys for watching. It means the world to me. Uh, email me for the resources and please personal ask everybody seriously join me in the p in the pca join business accelerator we need you if you actually want to make a difference instead of talking about it do something about it jason paris and i in the pca have given you the easiest best resource there is no excuses anymore what do we do if we want to grow business stop it you know exactly what to do if you want join me in the pca it is the way forward have a good weekend, everybody. Appreciate you all. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.